welcome to another episode of BZ Listening. I'm your host, BZ Douglas. Today's guest is technically me, uh, as I'm rebroadcasting an interview I gave with Brenton Langle on his YouTube channel a few weeks ago. Brent is an anarchist, playwright, and writer of the Ringo-nominated comic book Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. And most importantly, he's a good friend of mine for over about a decade now. Brent was a guest on this show back in 2019 when he was promoting the Kickstarter for issue number one of his comic, which was wildly successful, and all because he came on my show to promote it, Natch. He's currently has a Kickstarter in progress for the third issue that has already blown way past his goal and deservedly so. It's such an awesome story and concept and the writing and the art. I, I just I can't recommend that comic enough. You should get on the ground floor of that and pick up an issue if you can. In today's interview, I discuss my October 27th article about recent charges filed by Mariah Crenshaw of Chasing Justice against Officer Matthew Rhodes of the Euclid Police Department and several other officials across Ohio. The charges all stem from the fact that Rhodes lacked state-mandated training required of all Ohio police officers, and the charges assert that Rhodes was essentially impersonating a police officer when he shot and killed Luke Stewart in March of 2017. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show, you've heard me mention the documentary I'm producing on the Euclid Police Department, and this story came directly out of that investigation. If you're not a regular listener of the show, first of all, hey, welcome. Thanks for coming by. Hope you stick around. Uh, you should go back and check out my interview with Mariah Crenshaw to learn all about her statewide investigation into Ohio police officer training. This is just the latest in what will be a series of stories as this issue is widespread across the state and I will be tracking it closely. So two more quick things before I roll into my interview with Brent. Uh, first, this coming Sunday, November 29th at midnight Eastern time, I will be doing a live stream as part of the 48-hour virtual music festival. I'll be discussing my latest stories about Ohio police officer training, the terrifying implications of Ohio House Bill 784 put forward by Republicans this month, and taking calls and comments from viewers. This event is raising money for Cleveland Rocks, Past, Present, and Future. This is an organization that supports and preserves Cleveland's popular music culture. And in reaction to COVID and the shutdowns in, in early 2020, this nonprofit has distributed thousands of dollars in grants to local musicians and venue workers throughout Cleveland. And lastly, I have a new video report out on YouTube that doesn't really work as a podcast episode. Earlier in the month, I received leaked body cam and investigation footage that shows an East Cleveland police commander, Larry McDonald, attempting to steal some drugs seized in an arrest. The department is also filled with officers who should have been relieved from duty due to the same training deficiencies that uh, I mentioned earlier. So if surveillance footage of police acting shady is your thing, you're going to love this video. There's a lot of great, terrible stuff in it. You can find links for everything I've mentioned in this intro in the description for this episode. Uh, if you can, please consider supporting me on Patreon. If you're as strapped for cash as I am and can't chip in but want to help out, just remember... Sharing is caring, and I can use all the eyeballs and ear holes I can get right now. 
big reason uh, I haven't been able to produce more podcast episodes and stories is because I've had to devote a lot of time to hustling up freelance gigs. So if you or anyone you know needs any web design or development work, send them my way. That's a big help too right now. That about covers everything. Thank you so much for listening. And now here's my interview with, no, no, here's Brent's interview with me. Uh, and uh, I guess, is this movement journalism or is this really more investigative journalism that you're doing here? Well, I mean, it is investigative, but I mean, I say movement journalist because that's kind of what I got into it is to, you know, I'm just throwing away any pretense of necessarily objectivity mm-hmm. um, uh, in terms, you know, it's like I'm not I, I'm I'm in, you know, I want to see move the uh, movement succeed, like the movement for black lives or, uh, you know, a lot of I align with a lot of leftist movements, things like that. So um, and that's given me a lot of credibility with sources. And at the same time, you know, it's like I'm, I'm trying to hold the movement accountable. And when there's shady operators like my first story, um, want to call those out. So, yeah, I mean, in, it's investigative. But like I said, I kind of wear my bias on my sleeve, biased but fair. Yeah. Now this is, uh, uh, unfortunately, I, when you told me about this, I was like, Oh God, not another one. Uh, this is about the police. And I'm going to say police in quotations, um, uh, killing of, uh, Luke Stewart, yet another killing of a, uh, African American man, uh, by a white officer. Um, so if, if you can let me know, uh, this occurred in Euclid, Ohio, yes. um, and, and this has this is a complicated story. There's a lot going into it. So can you just tell uh, the readers if they're not familiar with this? Because uh, I, I believe I didn't hear about this until you broke the story to me. Yeah. Um, w- what are the major factors in this case? What happened and uh, how can we stop it from happening again? Well, this all started um, when uh, I, I, I started working on a documentary about Luke Stewart, uh, who is the, the victim in uh, this case. And it was um, basically the way it, the this article came about. And I'll kind of I'll lead into how how I discovered it and what the what the story became. So Luke Stewart was a man who was sleeping in his car. Uh, on the street. He was trying to find a friend's house to crash at. Couldn't do it. So he pulled on the street, parked, went to sleep it off, whatever he, you know, he, he couldn't get home. And so a woman, as uh, many of us did when we were in college. Um, yeah, it's a know. completely innocuous thing. And so this woman noticed the car and she was getting ready for work. And she called into the Euclid police and said, there's a suspicious vehicle. She doesn't know that's just idling with it's like you know parking lights on and so these two officers um lewis catalani and matthew rhodes were dispatched and basically they they pulled up they peeked around in his car they saw that he he what looked like a half smoked joint in the top of a wine bottle and decided that oh we're gonna pull this guy out of the car which is something the Euclid police apparently do a lot. This like they violently yank people out of cars. So they, the one officer Catalani went to the driver's side door, knocks on the window. And it's also important to note at no point did these men turn on their, their, their red and white lights. 
And that's important because that automatically activates their dash cams and it's department policy that they should do that on every stop. Yeah. So they didn't do that. That they turned on what's called their takedown lights, these really blight, bright, blinding lights. And, and uh, I believe Catalani had his flood light, the one that's attached to the side of his door, shining into Luke's car. So when they knock, he knocks on the window, all Luke sees is this silhouetted man, honestly. Yeah, like and straight out of a horror movie. <laughs> like. Right. Um, and so there's no way to be certain that he even knew that it was police that were. Uh, Bang on his window. Yeah. And at no point, and this is from, I've listened to their full uh, interviews with the Bureau of Criminal Investigations, the BCI that investigates cases like these. Uh, So I listened to their entire depositions and no point do either of them ever identify themselves as police. So anyway, Catalani knocks on the window, waves, Luke groggily waves back and then sits up and starts his car. And Catalani immediately opens the door and starts grabbing Luke, like wraps his arm around his neck. He's pulling him like in what's called a mandibular lock. And then the Rhodes climbs into the passenger side and starts shoving him to try and get him out. And Catalani can't do it. So so, uh, Luke Stewart panics, whatever. He's this is startling. It's completely understandable. Starts his car, he gets it into drive, and he starts trying to move forward. Yeah. And Catalani, he, from his perspective here, he's being at- attacked by two unknown men who shined a giant light on him and have just gone in. Like they they they've gone from zero to what he assumes and what will possibly become murder very mm-hmm. very soon. Yeah. So. He starts moving forward, and then what happens is that Catalani has to disengage because his door is he's about to get wedged between the car, the police car in front of Luke and the door. So he jumps out, he backs off. Rhodes decides that the smart move is to jump all the way into the car and to just kind of boil this down to get to the the end of this tragedy. uh, Here's here's what Matthew Rhodes decision making process was. His, here's how his training kicked in, and training will be a big part of this story. He starts punching Luke in the head to try and get him to stop. Mm-hmm. He then that doesn't work, so he takes no, out his course, taser. <laughs> he takes his taser out, shoots Luke, but screws up using the taser, and it he leaves the safety on basically. So it's just the needles go into him and no shocks. Also, I want to bring to attention. The intelligence of if your goal is to stop someone from driving a car recklessly, I don't think tasing them while their foot is on the gas is a great idea. So the taser doesn't work. So then he decides the right move is to punch Luke in the head with the front of the taser. Rather than doing what's called dry stunning, which is where you can actually just press the taser into someone's body to get the taser effect. No, he doesn't do that. He just starts punching Luke with a taser in the face. Then that doesn't work. And all this happens in the space of like barely a block. And Luke never really gets above like 25, 30 miles an hour. So then Rhodes decides his only option is to pull out his gun and he shoots Luke twice in the chest, another bullet hits his wrist, and then the fatal wounds into his neck. And it's really, you know, I've, I've just gone over this and, and really tried to, you know, like meticulously listening to the, the story and tried to imagine it. And what's crazy to me is that, that at no point does Rhodes 
think that maybe I, you know, this is an unarmed man and he's panicking. Maybe I'll sit down, buckle my seatbelt and say, look, this got out of hand. Let's slow down. Reason with someone, you know? No, he decides that he's got to go all out. There's no answer to the situation but force. And uh, so, yeah, so that's that's where the story was. And Luke's case went, um, there was a lawsuit against Rhodes, and he has skated by that using qualified immunities, you know. Uh, Of course he did. Here all the time. Yeah. Um, So uh, what came out prior to, you know, me, you know, the the story I broke today um, was uh, in the, the, the lawsuit, the uh, firm um, Friedman and Gilbert that's representing the Stewart family, they discovered uh, they, they, they requested uh, Euclid police's training materials. And mm-hmm. in those training materials, they discovered there were sli- there was uh, the opening slide to use of force has this really um, tasteless graphic of like, you know, like the kind of like the style, like men's room figures, you know, men's and women's room figures just of a police officer holding a baton over someone that's lying on the ground. And it says Euclid PD serving and protecting the poop out of you. And then later in the presentation, there's a link to the Chris Rock video from like the the early 2000s where uh, it's satirically saying like how to uh, telling black people how to avoid getting uh, beat up by the police. And it's, you know, it's basically stuff like don't be black. (laughs) But they shared that this was part of their training. And and every serious person I've talked to, you know, has pointed out there's no room. There's no place for humor like that. Yeah, when you're force training officers, and it's also interesting. Um, in the training, there is about 200 pages, or I don't know, 150 something crazy just on taser usage. Like, if there's one thing Rhodes should have understood how to use, it was a taser just going off of the amount of training in there. So that was the first thing that was discovered um, prior to my investigating. And then when I started digging into this, um, kind of at the behest of Black Lives Matter Cleveland, I, I, mm-hmm. I had interviewed one of the co-founders and we had stayed close. And um, he mentioned that he would really appreciate, you know, he's looking for someone yeah. to work on a, a documentary about Luke Stewart's story. So I have a friend who lives nearby. He's actually a director and a filmmaker, and he has been working on with me uh, to co-produce and direct this piece. So in our investigation, I also discovered when I looked into Euclid's annual reports that uh, several years running, they had commissioned the uh, tr- the training of Lieutenant Dave Grossman, the killology expert, uh, his bulletproof mindset training, which is just all it is. It's three hours of inducing panic in officers that they're all under threat at all these things that, that do happen in, in, in intense yeah. situations. But the way he frames them, it's always like these are the things you'll want to know when you're testifying about getting out of trouble. Um, yeah. you know, he doesn't this directly killology, say that, but it's implied. Yeah. yeah th- this killology guy uh, has been the cause of like so many deaths, like, oh, yeah. it, you know, um, allegedly in case somebody's watching, you know, but that, that that's my, from, from the, from the facts of what I've heard, you know, this is a guy who was, uh, I believe a former green beret, but he never actually saw combat. 
nope. and then just proclaimed himself an expert in killology and went around talking to cops about how they're sheepdogs uh, and they need to protect the sheep from, yeah. you know, the wolves. And uh, of course, you know, this whole thing, uh, Robert Evans um, uh, behind the bastards did an excellent deep dive on him that I recommend everybody check out. But like this guy has been one of the major people behind like this rash of police killings, because if you go in and you train police officers and you tell them, you know, that they're in this huge amount of danger and that they need to be ready to kill to defend the sheep, you know, mm -hmm. um, like they're going to fly off the handle and they're going to do crazy stuff like this. Like I can't imagine thinking that like, it's a good idea to, to, to go, go up on a sleeping man in a car, blare a light at him and then immediately attack him without even announcing yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it I can't even think what's going through these officers' heads at this time because this is clearly like I know they're not trained well, but there's like not being trained well, and then there's just like insane stuff. Yeah. And then the other thing about Grossman is that he relies on a lot of debunk studies. He often mm -hmm. cites this um, SL, I think it's SL Marshall study that was cited about like how many officers don't actually fire. Uh, it was like World War II, but it was completely debunked. And but he still cites it all the time. And uh, the, the man's just got he's got a murder fetish, in my opinion. I mean, I've seen him do live. I've watched live streams that are from his house and his whole back wall is like knives and guns and weapons. Okay. The man just fetishizes violence. Yeah. Clearly, anyway, so this is a person he probably wanted to get into allegedly again. He probably wanted to get into the service because he wanted to kill someone. He wanted that uh, that that thrill. And when he mm -hmm. didn't get to kill somebody in the military, he just said, well, the next best thing is I'll try to teach other people to kill people. Oh, the other thing about Grossman, he is one of the people that really pushed out the idea into the mainstream that like video games and violent behavior is linked. Oh, he was, um, the, he was the guy. Yeah, he was Jack, uh, all Jack over Johnson. that, all over that. Yeah, he, he's a big factor in that becoming, you know, a, 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 a thought virus. Um, it's like I, I think video games can be detrimental if you just you make your whole world about video games. But I don't yeah. think they make you violent. I've played violent video games my whole life and I abhor violence, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there, there's there's a big difference between, you know, violence as it happens on the screen and violence as it happens in real life. Like mm -hmm. you can maybe get to a point like you play a lot of Call of Duty and you fetishize the military and decide like it'd be a great, cool thing to get into the military like Call of duty but like at the same time like it, it doesn't really prepare you for like actual killing or actual violence in much the same way that playing street fighter does not prepare you to go into like a full contact karate match yeah i can i can testify to that firsthand man that didn't work out at all <laughs> um so so that's where like the extent of like what i had uncovered just digging on my own into documents i could get my hands on then um so for this documentary we started you know we were interviewing different people we interviewed luke's sister we interviewed uh richard montgomery a gentleman he ran for mayor of euclid in 2019 and was really uh almost as a direct response to luke's killing and and luke was also bookended by two major cases um the before him was a gentleman named lamar wright who turned uh you know turned into a driveway and stopped because he had to make a quick phone call and it happened to be the driveway of 
a possibly like known drug house. And these two officers, Officer Vishon Williams and uh, Kyle Flagg, rushed up out of nowhere, threw his door open, tased him immediately. And because they thought he was reaching for a gun, he was reaching for his colostomy bag, which yeah. then ruptured because he was just recovering mm -hmm. from surgery okay. and that case is moving its way up and 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 actually it looks like qualified immunity is not going to save those off for now okay. right now where it's at in the appellate we really need um, to get rid of qualified immunity like the, you know, that it's do you know the history of it uh, I've I've heard a little bit about it. I, I think well, you probably know in a nutshell, in the so shorthand of it, it was it was um, created to to help black people after there was Klan infiltration of the police, and I, mm -hmm. I forget the exact details of it. But now it's been completely flipped, where it's used to uh, protect the police from uh, any litigation against you know mostly African Americans. Um, so anyway, I interviewed so, so essentially like it was created because there might be black police officers that are going after the Klan and the, the communities at that time would go try to go after those black. I'll, me officers. I'll mess up the history if I try and yeah. get it. I, I just um, Richard Montgomery was actually talking about this at the press conference, so I don't want to misquote mm -hmm. the history. But uh, it is, it is uh, depressingly ironic as irony tends to be in yeah. real life. Um, well, I think it goes to show something that I think a lot of people don't understand, like a lot of liberals don't understand. And the, the, they don't understand that there are the rules and that there is power. And that has an effect on how the rules are realized and whether they're enforced or whether they're not. I think the country with regard to Trump and how he's been flouting both rules and norms and laws uh, has helped open a lot of people's eyes up to that. But that was something that I remember I figured out kind of, you know, very early in my, in my life, I think in college was when I first started to realize like, Oh no, people don't actually follow the rules. It more or less has to do with, you know, how much power an individual has, whether or not a rule gets followed or, enforced mm -hmm. uh, you know uh now we've, we've got a couple comments in the chat by the way um one uh is from eric hey eric uh and he's mentioning that it's sometimes nerve-wracking walking by the police and I, I totally agree um particularly for people of color like i don't like being around the police period but you know i tend to do fairly well with them um and uh we also have um, Robert in the chat, who is a, a soldier, actually, uh, who served in combat. He says he has a copy of On Killing, and it is bullshit. <laughs> so thank yeah. you, that, Robert. <laughs> I've, and I've heard from some law enforcement officers that say there, there's some valuable things in it, you know, that aren't related to killing and have to do with, like, maybe dealing with killing. Um, mm -hmm. One of the last things I'll say about Grossman that I found really disturbing in his presentation was and the fact uh, he, that he is a gross man. He is a gross man. And he talks about uh, that there's a, you know, thing called post-traumatic growth and that people have, you know, you can go through a trauma and, and, and grow as a person become because of it. And that is a real thing. But mm -hmm. the way he talks about it, he almost says like it's it's like an enticement, like, hey, I, you might be worried about killing someone might mess you up, but you might actually end up being a better person for it. So go kill away. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That is nuts. Like, so, you know, this actually makes me think back to a, a mutual friend of ours, um, uh, Captain Ray Occupy Lewis. 
Um, if you remember, uh, for those of you guys who are listening who may not be familiar with Ray Lewis, he's the former Philadelphia police captain who was arrested with Occupy Wall Street um, back in 2010. Jeez, 10 years ago. Um, and uh, he went on to have a very uh, incredible career like as an uh, activist, just going around doing his best to help um, people who were struggling against the system and against the police and also to, you know, kind of – be a means for activists to understand the police. And I don't remember if it was you, but he did a speech at the Yippie and somebody asked him, um, the Yippie being a former radical space in New York City, the Yippie Museum from the Youth International Party. Um, somebody asked him, like, what's the deal with like police brutality? And what I remember he said was what the problem is, is that when they select their officers, they go and they select officers and they give them a personality test. And the personality test asks you questions that don't really have a right or a wrong answer, but it grades you on a scale of like zero to hard ass. So sensitive on one end, hard ass on the other technical terms. Um, and that um, they want to get people that are a little more on the hard ass side because, you know, being a cop is not the most dangerous job in the world. Like it's more dangerous to be a garbage man than a cop. Um, it is more dangerous to be an Uber driver than a cop. But like, you know, cops, it's very emotionally taxing because you're dealing with everybody on their worst day when you go through it. And there's so often, you know, you're going in and you're dealing with suicides and you're dealing with wife beatings and all that kind of stuff. And so um, what happens is, is that they found that if they got people who were more on the sensitive side, oftentimes these people would spend a year or so on the job and then they couldn't stand it anymore and they'd quit. Um, and the, 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 the department and the city would say to themselves, oh, um, actually, you know, that's a bunch of, uh, you know, th that's a bunch of money and time that we wasted training this person who just quit. So let's get the hard asses and put them out there. But what they don't realize, according to Ray, uh, was that the job itself hardens you. So if you come in there as a hard ass already, if you're an eight, they, you're going to be an 11. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You turn into a freaking Terminator. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he said one of the big things that people can do to deal with um, the, the problems of police killing and police uh, beatings and stuff is what they need to do is they need to select and, and be aware that if the person stays in the job, they're going to go on. Because honestly, it's more expensive for the cities in, in the long run when they're beating and killing people and getting sued for you know millions than losing a couple of officers that uh, seemed promising but just couldn't handle the job emotionally. Um, but also he said that you, they needed to improve their screening for psychopathic and sociopathic personalities um, since these people are attracted to law enforcement. Oh, I've said that many times that I, I really – worries me that like the police department is this same sort of has the same sort of kind of siren call that uh you know the priesthood has for pedophiles yeah. you know but mm -hmm. it's for you know psychopaths who are like fetishizing violence it's like oh that's the job for me well they got that town in kentucky that uh they put the punisher skull on all of their uh police vehicles mm -hmm. um you know and that's crazy because first of all the punisher is literally a cop killer <laughs> um, but you know second of all they're they're signaling 
<laughs> that what they see themselves as is not a police officer so much as someone who takes revenge via murder, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's this ridiculous machismo that's really made its way into cop culture and like warrior culture. And it, it's, it's garbage. It's just garbage. It's one of the reasons why I advocate, you know, defund, abolish the police and put something better in its place. You know, a lot yeah. of people think, when, when people talk about defunding or abolishing the police, it's just you just get rid of the police and nothing, you don't do anything. The idea is break that toxic culture. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. And and also honestly, um, break the police unions because they're a big part of this as well, in my opinion. Uh, so, a lot of them simply can't be reformed. I mean, if you'll remember, uh, they tried to the police union tried to take away Captain Ray Lewis's pension. Like just because he I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Occupy, uh, you know, just because of his political opinions and the way he expressed them, they, they tried to take away his retirement. Like, yeah, they protect, just they protect you. If you're the kind of police they want, if you're the kind of police that rocks the boat, then they are going to come at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I see uh, in, in the chat, uh, I've got <laughs> Rigel saying, I was an Uber driver and a pizza delivery driver. I'm braver than cops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in uh, our, uh, uh, RJ in the chat, uh, they just fired a guy here for not carrying a taser or a baton, just extra ammo. Um I'm I, I'm not quite. Oh, oh, like as in he didn't actually mm-hmm. carry any non-lethal ones. He got rid you of that. Loaded up. Just, yeah, I'm kind of glad they fired that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually yeah, that's kind of good if he's just not taking any of his less le- you know non-lethal uh, deterrence with him. Um, mm-hmm. So let's see where where was I? Oh yeah. Um, so. We're investigating this and um, we're conducting interviews and we interview the attorney of um, Lamar Wright because just this because the thing started out narrow about Luke Stewart. And then the scope just widened to be like, we got to make a whole thing about the whole Euclid department. And um, so when we were done interviewing him and we asked him specifically about the Grossman training because we had uncovered that and the uh, people that the lawyers defending these people weren't for against Euclid weren't aware of that. And once we brought up the subject of training, uh, the attorney, this one attorney said, like, I got to put you on the phone with Mariah Crenshaw. And that is where my story today breaks. Um, Mariah Crenshaw is just one of the most, like, amazing, like, citizen activists that I, I've personally encountered. Um, you know, when she first came me on the phone and, and explained what she had uncovered, I, my jaw hit the floor. And then as I did more background on her and found, you know, that she all the different types of uh, activism and advocacy she has worked on, you know, going back to like the financial crisis, she was actually um, doing a lot of forensic accounting around predatory lending to the point where um, Acorn, before it got blown up, uh, people from there asked her to come in as, as an, an expert and an analyst. They ended up sending her to Washington several times to testify before representatives and senators. And she impressed uh, John Edwards so much that when he came through Cleveland and campaigning in 08, he asked if she would give him a walking tour of East Cleveland and describe the pre- how the predatory lending has affected her neighborhood. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, uh, she did work that directly contributed to Cleveland's consent decree, um, connecting DOJ lawyers and things like that with um, the right people in the community. She was also uh, thanked for her contributions to Serials uh, Season 3 that's focused almost entirely on the Cuyahoga County court, uh, Courthouse and Euclid to an, to an extent. So uh, I get introduced to Mariah. And I'm going to try and think of the easiest I've been. This is my first time having to like verbally boil all this down. Yeah, because this is a complicated case. For those of it, you who are wondering, it, the, the, the case is linked in the description of the video. So if you want to read this for yourself, if things sound a little like, wait, what? All of this stuff, it, it breaks it down into moving parts. But let's hear Let's hear this well, from you because this blew my mind. I can give you like the, the the short version of it is essentially there was a law enacted in 2007 in Ohio that stipulated that all police officers, all peace officers of every agency, every law and agency, law enforcement agency in Ohio are required to take 24 hours of continued professional training, CPT. Mm-hmm. And these courses consist of things like de-escalation, trauma-informed policing, uh, dealing with people with mental crises, you know, mm-hmm. all of the nonviolent stuff is is like what they started mandating you have to take. And if you do not take these by the end of the calendar year, you are automatically placed into what's called cease function. And if, if you are in cease function, you are no longer a police officer. You cannot enter in a license plate into leads. You cannot carry a gun. You cannot make arrests. And anytime you do that, it is a felony. You are impersonating an officer and you have no right to qualified immunity. So how, how did Mariah discover this term cease function? Well, she was helping out East Cleveland with they had a, a really problematic officer that a lot of residents wanted to get the hell off of the force. So yeah, she yeah. started digging into him, requesting all his records and training. And and she's pretty sure this got sent to her by mistake. But in the files she got was the, a cease function letter. And in all her years, she'd never heard of this. Her father was a, a major civil rights and criminal defense lawyer here in Cleveland. And she, you know, all was really close with him, paid close attention to his work. He'd never heard of this either. And so, so it seems like she, it's something they passed and then just swept under the rug because they didn't want people figuring it out. Well, these cease function letters, they're supposed a lot of times they're supposed to go to like directly to um, like the mayor or um, uh, the uh, law director. And a lot of times they go to the chiefs and prosecutors who just tuck them away. Like, oh, uh. and so the thing about going into cease function, too, is that you then have to take if you want to become a police reinstated. Before a certain amount of time, you can take a refresher course. After a certain amount of time, you have to go all the way back through basic training. Yeah, and it's as if you've never been a police officer. Exactly. So when she discovered this one officer's cease function letter, she figured out how to basically piece together which officers were in cease function without getting her hands on those letters, sending in requests to the o- Ohio Police Officer Training Association, uh, OPATA. So mm-hmm. she requests from OPATA 
Um, and they're kind of like the linchpin of where this all gets completely screwed up because of how they work. So Opata gets like a police chief at the end of the year. He just sends them this spreadsheet with all of his officers names and a yes, 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 yes. No, no, no. Or whatever. Yes. They completed their training. Just that's all yeah. it is. No more details. They send that in an Opata. Opata looks at him, and goes, cool, bro. And <laughs> so she'll request that from them, but then she'll request like that spreadsheet that they get, but what they don't do, they don't check. Yeah. And she started checking. So she started requesting from, uh, she started with East Cleveland and, so, and requested the training certificates for every single officer in that department. Oh, and what boy. she discovered was that about 24 officers were in cease function and Ohio allows for anyone to uh, charge someone um, with with a crime. Uh, mm -hmm. If you if you file an affidavit, it then gets sent to a judge who approve, who will look at it and say, yeah, crimes were committed and they send it to the prosecutor. And with these Cleveland, a judge looked at it, said, yeah, there's felonies here. Send it to a prosecutor who in our county is uh I'm not sure if at the time it was Michael O'Malley, but it is now. And he's as problematic as, as the last person um, did nothing with it. So then she has expanded her yeah. investigation. And, and I, I should to add every way, agency in the state. This is something we, we should. So this is something I learned covering the Cecily McMillan trial. And that is, is that prosecutors are very, very reluctant to ever go after police in any way, shape or form because they rely on a good reputation, like a good relationship with the police department to continue to do their job when, and their job is put people in prison. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the way that uh, DA, D DAs and prosecutors work is they work on a system of, I am successful if I put a lot of people behind bars, you know? Yeah. Um, mo and sometimes you can leverage that into becoming a, a senator and probably, uh, you know, a uh, 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 vice president of the United States with uh, oh, yeah. Kamala Thanks. Harris. <laughs> um, Careerist prosecutors are one of the biggest problems we have. Yeah. The ones who are like, I need to punch up those numbers in Ohio. And it's really bad here. That's, that's one of the things that I hope a lot of leftists are going to learn about like their disappointment in, you know, this election is like, stop yeah. putting all your energy into the presidency. If we can, if we can put our, that energy into getting in every county, a better, you know, better prosecutors elected, better judges, that's mm -hmm. going to transform America a lot quicker than I think even Bernie could. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, that's one of the things that gets me very frustrated with the Democrats, uh, the Democratic Party and just like Democrats do not understand power. They don't they're like me before I realized in college that people don't follow rules. You know, they, a lot of the time they 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 seem to think that, um, you know, it just matters that you have the rule and then nothing else. Tunnel vision mm -hmm. on it. So, yeah, this is a, a, a huge issue here. So so let's keep going. There are 24 right. police officers who are essentially impersonating police officers. They have literally committed felonies. The prosecutors have de declined to do absolutely anything about it uh, because they like having a good relationship with the police. Continue. Mm -hmm. So um, that didn't, you know, she didn't get discouraged by that and spent um, the next year she, uh, over the last year, she has been um, requesting uh, records from every single agency in the state, like mm -hmm. 
and yeah. um, getting the Opana records for all. Like, I think she sent out something like 900 requests in the last three weeks. So what she discovered that my article focuses on is that um, and, and this is where a lot of like the, her forensic accounting work comes in really handy because um, she started looking into Matthew Rhodes um, mm -hmm. and she found that Matthew Rhodes he, being the police officer, the who, officer who killed Luke Stewart. Yeah. And so uh, she looked at he was hired initially by uh, a department in a city called Kirtland Hills. And then he transferred to Maple Heights and he actually kind of dual worked there. And then it wasn't until 2016 he was sworn in, in in Euclid. And what she uncovered was he had no CPT for 2014. And then none it was reported, uh, I believe, in 2015. He did take um, some what are called EOPATA online classes uh, in mm -hmm. um, which means he was like sitting there reading something and just clicking. Yeah. And those are not, those cannot count towards CPT. It's in the law. It has to be an in-person instructor and um, other than online. Yeah. And so, the other thing that's problematic about these online courses, some of them will be like, um, you know, a domestic violence course and it takes, it's three minutes long. And they submit that and and then claim it was an hour credit. Wow. And you mm -hmm. know what's crazy about that is I remember I had to do an online course on training with, with my previous company, like just on sexual harassment, like in the workplace and including trans folks and they, them pronouns and stuff. That was like... 30 minutes and like you had to go through it you had to download i had to do it twice because i forgot to download the the application at the end so that's me for my job you know just managing a couple of people in low stakes situations whereas like what we've got these are police officers with guns who can and do kill people mm -hmm. and they, they're going in for 30 uh, three minutes on yeah. uh, domestic violence online and saying it was an hour yeah so the other, and that's uh, another thing I forgot to mention about East Cleveland um, mm -hmm. is that, and for those who don't know, East Cleveland is its own city, um, which is because of a lot of fucking racism. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so she she did manage to um, she forced the uh, Opata the the commission the OPOTC uh, um, she forced them to audit East Cleveland. And then they had to pay back more than $10,000 in reimbursement fees. Because when they send up and say, our officers took all these trainings and we paid X amount for the training, and then they get paid back. So um, there was at least that happened in East Cleveland. And this, uh, so what she's discovered here with Officer Rhodes and what happened on Monday was her and Richard Montgomery both filed affidavits charging Matthew Rhodes with homicide, uh, impersonating a police officer, assault, you know, they just stacked every charge they could yeah. they could find against him. They also charged his former police chiefs with dereliction of duty and in some cases fraud for the same reason of that reporting that he had taken hours, which he did not take, which he, they were not entitled to reimbursement for. Yeah. Um, so this is like kind of the opening shot in something that 
in, in, you know, from what I can see, has the potential to shatter qualified immunity for a sizable portion of officers. And in Mariah's opinion, she thinks that they're looking at like 40 to 60 percent of officers in the state may have fallen into cease function at some point and never did Gone the for- required work to actually get properly reinstated. Yeah, see, so this is um, I, I'm I'm guessing that what's kind of happening here and one of the reasons why the prosecutors are declining to do anything about it. And one of the reasons that the chiefs are not insisting upon this kind of stuff is everybody hates to do extra training for your job. Well, and they are also like, they're ideologically opposed to this training, too. They're, yeah. they're obstinate about like, I don't want my guys taking this, you know, this yeah. soft shit. Yeah, exactly. So you got the machismo in there. And so what's happening is, is that they're saying to themselves, this isn't important. We're going to ignore it. And, you know, just, oh, get your stuff in, get your stuff in. And then it goes to the prosecutor and the prosecutor probably says to himself, well, I don't want to one, I don't want to piss off the the police because I need Mm -hmm. them to help me get my wins so that I can keep getting higher and higher in the hierarchy. Uh, But two, um, like, oh, this is just a technicality. It's not really that important. But we can see here from this case uh, with, with Matt, Matthew Rhodes, yes, this is important. You know, these pe- these officers are going out and doing insane things and killing people and yeah. uh, until very recently have been getting away with it. So, you know, uh, again, this is not just simply a technicality that we're you, that people are using to mess with the police. This isn't like an this isn't like an activist problem that people are ignoring and they will continue to ignore it until they are made to actually go through with the proper procedures. And, you and know, even if it was a technicality, like people get their lives ruined over technicalities all the mm-hmm. time, you know, yeah. like I but, you know, what you're saying is that's why when I wrote this article, I didn't just write up about, you know, that Matthew Rose killed someone. And like the, the only other I was the only person who came to cover this, by the way. Yeah. Press releases were sent out to major, uh, you know, uh, the the channel 19 like who have, have done a lot of actual good coverage on euclid um the only reporter who did who followed up on this was uh cleveland.com she's a relatively new reporter she called mariah after the uh the press conference talked to her for like four hours and wrote up an article as best she could and and i'm not like kind of dissing her but at the same time like i have spent cumulatively probably like 14 hours talking to mariah and another like eight just reading this material and combing through i read the whole affidavit she submitted so um i can't fault you know that journalist for kind of like skimming the story and mm-hmm. the only thing that bothered me was she dedicated one paragraph to the luke stewart incident and actually used the word the you know when Rhodes first got in the car, Rhodes got in the car and they began to tussle. Yeah, <laughs> I tussle my I tussle my son's hair. I don't tussle yeah. a man out of a car. Absolutely. Anyway, um, but I thought it was important to write out and recap what happened and what Rhodes did because of what you just said because I think it shows that his training was completely deficient of anything that taught him how to de-escalate handle a situation that didn't require force all he's taught is force firearms Mm -hmm. force when to use it how to use it let's practice 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 and and be ready to kill as Dave Grossman teaches you yeah well and this is one of the worst things about how police officers are are trained 
trained. Uh, I'm remembering uh, one of my senseis in um, Kyokushin Karate. Uh, he was taking a he, he was taking a course with another uh, higher uh, level sensei, um, and one of the people in the class, uh, one of the white belts that had come in, was a police officer. And what he noticed was was that one of the things that Kyokushin Karate does is it puts you into situations and in kata and movements where you have to really actually stop and think about what you're doing. Because if you just kind of go with what feels natural for like a kata or something, um, it will it, it basically puts you into uncomfortable places to rewire your mind so that you are better at moving than what you would do beforehand. And what he noticed was, was that the police officer, whenever he got to a point where he didn't quite understand what was going on, didn't really know what the movement, he would subconsciously reach for a gun, even though he's, he's got no gun. He's in the thing. It's just, if he felt confused or, you know, it, that hand would go back. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that, again, we're training these officers in a way that is not conducive to what they are supposed to do, which is serve and protect. Um, now, um, we've got some uh, stuff going on uh, here in the chat really quickly. I wanted to read this is Mustache Bob, friend of the pod. <laughs> oh, I, I like Mustache Bob. He's one of, he's a, he, uh, you introduced me to him. I like I like following him on Twitter. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. He's terrific. And we're going to be doing the sixth chapter of homage to Catalonia soon. Uh, he says, uh, Bobby B is saying the army is trying to do away with online courses for the same reason. Um, uh, but and they only ever use online as a supplement. So it's good to see that the army is at least catching on to this. Uh, yeah. We We'll have uh, Phoenix Force uh, in the chat. I'm not surprised the police do these things as sick as it is. Me being white, I've been stopped and harassed for simply pulling my hood up in winter, saying I was being suspicious. You know, I remember like when I went to occupy the, the Democratic National Convention and had like 15 freaking cops roll up on me and a couple of other people like in a dark alley. It's terrifying. And oh, like, yeah. A lot of people just don't have that experience with the cops, you know, like I remember one of them like sidled up behind me, it, like uncomfortably close. Like, oh, they teach. They do that all the time. I've seen that done. I've seen that done. That's a damn thing. That's if it's not formally taught, they informally like, oh, you know, what you do. You walk up behind someone, startle them and they might. I don't know, sometimes set up a pretense where you might do something where they can claim you tried to strike them or whatever. I don't know. But I've seen cops do that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's creepy. It's the kind of thing that like a dude in a, a, a skeezy dude in a club is mm -hmm. that's, that, that's the move that I'd seen before that. I'm just like, yeah, is this guy trying to <laughs> like, I don't think the cop is going to kiss me, but there's that whole, you know, kiss or kill distance. <laughs> um you know, so I wanted to bring that up. We also, it looks like we have a troll in the chat um, who uh, is saying- It wouldn't uh, be the internet if there weren't a troll. Yeah, <laughs> certainly not. None of what you're discussing here is relevant at all with what recently took place here. I don't know what you're referring to. There's, what are you recently? Yeah. He killed in 2017. Yeah, so he had a weapon. Why do you conveniently disregard key details? When whoa, 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 whoa. Luke Stewart- did not have a weapon, asshole. You want to go read all of the court transcripts I have? Listen to the police depositions, the BCI report. You want to read that? There's no weapon here. You can fuck off with that. 
Yeah. And even if he had had a weapon, they they attacked him while he was asleep in the car and did not identify themselves as police officers. So even if there were a weapon involved in this, he would have had no chance to use it. And the cops did not find any weapon or had any reason to suspect there was a weapon. They just yeah, you can be damn sure they idiots. <laughs> they'd have mentioned a weapon. I'm sorry. I don't know where you are inventing that Luke Stewart had a weapon. He did not. I, I have a feeling this is just a person getting triggered and <laughs> coming in yeah. uh, because, you know, it's also weird with that whole like he had a weapon thing, like where they're like uh, there was the shooting in Kenosha where they were like, oh, he had a knife and like freaking every white guy I know has a knife in their back pocket, particularly like in the South. So, you know, sh- and then also the just the whole concept of they can plant a weapon. They're free mm-hmm. cops. <laughs> um, so we have that uh, mustache Bob also. He says, hey, BZ. <laughs> hey, back at you, Bob. Yeah, we got Steve Lundberg, evening uh, desk. That's re- that's targeted at me. Evening, Steve. Good to see you out there. And uh, mustache Bob, their ROE is so much more lax than the ones in Afghanistan. It's nuts. Rules of engagement. Know. Oh, the rules of engagement. So the, the police officers' rules of engagement are way laxer than the rules of engagement in Afghanistan. Yeah, I've heard, and I've heard that from many a military uh, veteran talking about like, wow, what, you know, what we had to go through to fire a bullet, mm-hmm. it, which yeah. is shocking that there's they're more stringent about who you're killing in a war zone in a foreign country than you know, right in our own cities. Um, yeah. So as far as um. This I mean, so this story, like I said, I I'm the one who's, you know, as far as I know, gone as deep into it as as anyone has at this point. Um, Cleveland.com has done some coverage of the work Mariah did, you know, uh, previously too in East Cleveland. But to my mind, the only way that this story actually, though, gets uh, could become the threat that I think it is, is if enough people learn about it and the prosecutor can't just shunt it aside. Yeah, no, yeah, so, exactly. This is why I'm like reaching out to you. I'm like, Brent, can I go on your thing? And I'm just like, I'm, you know, I'm like, I got this is probably the first story where I'm like, everybody needs to see this story. And I'm just unabashedly like, put, get me on a show. Yeah. Well, it's incredibly important. And I was very happy to have you on. You're always welcome on the program. Um, like the, uh, what, what strikes me about this is how many officers do you think are out there right now that have had similar, like this law with them having to take this training and being ignored? Is, is this a state law or is that a federal law? This is a state law. And yeah, we're, I actually, I asked, I wanted to, I want to at some point, cause I've been so in the weeds of it now, I want to go into the history of who, who passed this. Cause they, they probably gave us something, like I said, this could be something really great for Ohio, uh, for a lot of cases to see justice. Yeah. Now we've got, oh, this is this is fascinating for the internet also. We've got uh, from LTD9392, I wasn't trolling, I apologize. I believe you're talking about something else, my fault. Thank you, dude. It actually, oh. yeah. Yeah, sorry I jumped down your throat, but I just had, I had no tolerance. I'm so close to this case and I feel for Luke and I don't want to hear anyone talking shit about something I've had my head in for months now. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that people, a lot of this stuff becomes like highly publicized and people forget that these are, these are people involved in this. And like, the thing that I always think back to is, is that like a, a human 
was killed. Like a person was ripped out of society violently. And like, I lost a friend at 25 and it wasn't violent or anything. Like he literally, he went to sleep one night. He didn't wake mm-hmm. up. That hole that that left in my life became like a major catalyzing event of my life. And I turned it into something positive. I mean, you talk about like positive transformation after trauma. That's what led me to hike the Appalachian Trail and move to New York City where I met BZ and, and you know, a lot of things. But the, the fact is, is that what I was doing at that point was I was turning poison into medicine. Um, and the negative fallout of tearing someone from their community, it's not just, uh, it's not just, oh, the police did something wrong or, oh, this, it is every person that he interacted with every person that loved him has been hurt by this. And all of the things that he might've gone on to do in the world, all the good that he might've gone on to do has been ripped out. It is a disgusting thing. And we get desensitized to it because of how the media treats death and how, uh, you know, stories and and video games treat it because we get this abstracted version. But in reality, this is a tragedy that is almost unspeakable. And, and it, it's easy to n- not think that because of just how crazy other things have gone. But yeah, what were you saying, BZ? Well, you know, you, you make me think of like one of the, one of the things that really just tugged at my heart was when we interviewed his sister, Tara, who she was in the military, too. So that's she had a lot to say about how inappropriate it was for there to be humor in, in that sort of training. But one of the real tragedies of this thing, Luke died on her brother's birth or on her daughter's birthday. Oh, no. So that 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 day is always, you know, she's she said, like, you know, it's not like you're going to forget a day like that. Like, oh, you know, oh, this is but it might happen where you're like, oh, this is the day Luke died. She's like, I'm never going to forget it now. I'm never going to forget that that's the day. And also the fact that they found out he had been killed like they saw that there was a shooting on the news and, and, and and we're like, Hey, that looks like Luke's car. And they had to go through all these hoops and go down to the station. And they, they were cagey about it to just find out that he had been killed. Yeah. That's one of the most awful things I can think of. And again, this is something that was completely avoidable, like literally just a little due diligence on the officer's part, knock on the window. Hello, I'm an officer. I, you know, I'm a police officer. Yeah, you, and I, I have no tolerance for any of the victim. The victim should have done this, or like yeah. Luke shouldn't have drove anywhere or whatever. Because I'll say this: while I do find it highly plausible that Luke could have thought he was getting robbed, did did not know that these were police at all. Given the history of the Euclid police, mm-hmm. I think he was justified in trying to get the fuck away from them. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I would say absolutely. Or at least that being his yeah. knee jerk reaction, like, oh, God, the Euclid cops. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and Luke wasn't a, and the other thing, Luke wasn't a saint. You know, he was in the game, so to speak. But mm-hmm. that's again, it was nothing that rose to the level where it's like he should have been violently attacked like that. But I think part of his history and, and he had evaded the cops before. I think there was some revenge here, probably. I don't think it's implausible to think that maybe these officers like recognized him or like oh, we're sick of we're sick of him getting over on us. Let's let's do the community a favor and take him out. I you know this yeah. is all my supposition and I'm not saying this oh, is what happened. But when I sit there and imagine like the, the scenarios of how this could have gone down deliberately, it's not hard. 
Yeah. I mean, I find it, I try not to chalk up to malice what can be more easily explained by incompetence. Certainly, uh, certainly. You know, uh, but like that that's definitely something that, that can and does happen. You know, we had the, uh, what was I think revealed uh, to essentially be a police hit on that guy in Portland who. Um, oh, yeah, that's straight up. Boy. Yeah. Or the, the Patriot prayer guy, you know, like they're, there is evil in the world and, and some of that evil comes from the police just, you know, not saying all of it does, but I I am saying that, you know, people, people really, and it's so weird because I remember seeing this in the, in the Cecily McMillan trial when they were doing jury selection. Um, One of the things that people don't realize because everybody's like, well, those just, a lot of these shootings are like, Oh, they're ruled as justified. Well, here's the thing. So when Cecily was going up and hers was much more lower stakes thing, just a wayward elbow to the eye of a cop who, by the way, later lost his job for police mix, gross police misconduct. Um, uh, but and he had had a history of police misconduct that they tried to bring out in the trial and they the judge wouldn't let it in. Um, but when they were doing their jury selection, one of the jurors, anytime, anytime somebody who might have been a juror said anything to the effect of, well, sometimes the police can be wrong. Boom, gone. You're not on Mm -hmm. the, they want like the most naive officers are always right. People serving on these juries. So when here in here in here in Ohio, like right around the corner in Jefferson County, they've actively sought to make sure like no black person ever ends up on a jury. Yeah. Uh, So we have here mustache, Bob. Good to see you again, Bobby. Uh, there's so many shootings, people get confused. That alone should lead to massive reform. I agree. Uh, I'm sick of seeing this happen. And, you know, it's it, this on killing thing is um, I, I cannot understate like how dangerous it is. One of the things he, he is taught, he's taught every single law enforcement agency in the country, I believe, or at least in every city. And he's been doing it for 20 years. That's yeah. the other thing he, to point out. He says, Hey, I'm a, I'm a green beret. I'm an expert in killology. You guys will love it. And the, the you know, the machismo and people just eat it up. Um, but like the, uh, and then we have um, Steve, um, well, again, this is just another example of lack of training and empathy and how to deal with people in that type of situation. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, so, like, all in all, I guess, what's the takeaway here? Is this person finally being, you know, held to account or, or is he going to get away with it? Well, like I said, this is sort of the opening shot. And where it goes from here is it's going to get passed over to Euclid Municipal Judge, uh, I believe it's Patrick Gallagher. He's going to look it over. Uh, Mariah believes, you know, judges never want to have their hands on it as being the one who squashes something. So he probably will forward it to the prosecutor. And then the onus is on him to actually investigate, bring it into a grand jury. Um, and so it's like none of that provides optimism, but at the same time, this woman's relentless and she's yeah. tenacious um, and very smart. So, and, and, and I think, you know, that's why I think the most important thing right now is to try and get this story out there as much as possible. Uh, it could be, I mean, this is a system wide failure for Ohio law enforcement. If there are that many officers who have been able to skate around training that was mandated by our state legislature, uh, it's just 
rampant lawlessness and it, it has to be addressed. It's not a technicality just because it involves looking at spreadsheets and training certificates and, and whatever. But they have not followed the letter of the law and they should be held to the same standard every citizen in this state is. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, you see that the you see that blue lives matter, you know, line, which is I hate that because it, it, there, that that thin blue line flag did not exist until black lives matter. It doesn't really mm. blue lives matter. You know, they're not they're not working to prevent cops from committing suicide. For instance, they're not working to help with domestic violence situations with cops. It, they're just saying shut up. To, to BLM. That, that's all that means. It means shut up. And um, like what people constantly are like, oh, what? You know, it's so dangerous out there for officers. Can't you? It should be it, like in the sense that it should be more dangerous for officers and that officers should be held to a higher standard than the general public. They are supposed to be warriors. They're supposed to protect us. And the fact of the matter is, 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 is that if the onus is not on the person with the gun, but the general public to avoid getting into these situations, you essentially have a, an institution that is not only corrupt, but doesn't do the thing that it's supposed to do. Because, again, like you need to hold people in higher the, the higher your authority rises and the more power you have, the more you must be held to account. Because if you don't do that, what's going to happen is abuse is going to happen and mistakes are going to happen. And people are going to die when it's a case of somebody that is actually armed and has the ability to take life. Um, and Zevanax, you are less likely as a cop to be murdered than as a taxi driver. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Um, Say it again. And also, I mean, what what and people are like, how if we abolish the police. How you know, how are crimes going to get solved? First of all, like I'm you know, I don't think anybody's saying like we don't want detectives who yeah. investigate, actually investigate thoroughly murders and rapes and, and major crimes. But this whole proactive policing approach yeah. um, is is really the, the problem, like being out there, like just as like a preventative force to just keep people in line. Um, and, and yeah, and there's a million like there's so many different types of calls police get that uh, are responding to that they just don't have the training for. Mm -hmm. And and uh, Mariah said, like, uh, in throughout all of Ohio, there's only four departments that have actually shown her they're taking their training seriously. I, I forget the name of the one, but like they even make sure every single one of their officers is at least trained in CPR yeah. and, you know, things like that. So like they can revive someone they might heal and takes all of the, you know, the de-escalation training and takes that seriously. But um, a lot of these, you know, police departments, it's like they're, they're, they're little fiefdoms and they get to pull, they get to pull shit the way they want to pull shit. And they're not getting held to account by legislatures they're not being held to account by the prosecutors. Um, and, and like, and the other thing is just the clearance rate of police departments is abysmal throughout yeah. most of the country. Like, what are we even getting for this? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And th this actually reminded me of um, what I wanted to say on this, but then I just lost it because clearance rate knocked it out of my head. So I'm going to go quick to the comments and then hopefully I'll remember what I was going to say. Uh, we have from Mustache Bob, every care must be taken that our auxiliaries being stronger than our citizens may not grow too much for them and become savage beasts. 
That's Plato, not Mustache Bob. Mustache Bob. <laughs> wow, wait a minute. Mustache Bob invoking Plato. <laughs> yeah, invoking Plato. Um, oh, this was what I wanted to bring up. So um, I had a debate uh, on Black Lives Matter uh, versus this guy T Jump, who I've debated with, who unfortunately was affected by neo Nazi propaganda, probably through Sam Harris. Um, and one of the things that we kept uh, settling on, we were arguing about was, you know, what is the cause of police shootings? Is this just police stupid or is there a racialized element? Of course, there's a racialized element. But the uh, thing that I found when I was doing some auxiliary research afterwards was I found a study um, that said that uh, one of the things that correlates with fatal police shootings is the presence of an armed populace. The more people who have guns in an area, the more likely cops are to shoot and kill. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, nobody talks about it because Republicans love cops and love guns and Democrats love cops. So nobody wants to bring this up that an armed populace, um, it, it's essentially what, what they speculated on in the study is that a cop who feels threatened is more likely to shoot and kill. What, and this, by the way, held true whether the person they shot was actually armed or not. So the killings of unarmed people go up in areas where the population is heavily armed uh, or more heavily armed than areas where they're yeah. more disarmed. That's interesting. Cause I recall a portion of Grossman's training was, uh, you know, talking about some incident. I, I forget which country or maybe it was Israel or, um, but he, he, he says in his presentation, the solution we need is armed people everywhere. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Did Grossman said that? Yeah, I, I, I have a, I have like a three hundred tweet thread where when I watched his three hour training and I just live tweeted and paused every single brain worm that I saw come out of his face. <laughs> Oh, my God. This is this is an insane ideology because people don't think about, like, the effect that being armed has on people psychologically. You know, they, they don't consider the fact that uh, and, you know, I've, I've made several arguments with regard to guns and, and being armed and being not armed, some tongue in cheek trolling, but also kind of serious. Um, and um, but people, they don't think about, for instance, the more guns there are around, the more like like if you have a gun you are more likely to kill yourself yeah because that and suicides go way up in states where uh you know um more people are armed so you know it's it, the the presence of these kinds of weapons sets a tone and that tone can lead to you know greater uh, degrees of killing in this case the reason i was tying it back to you is is that this grossman jackass uh is is going around telling police officers that their lives are in danger constantly and that they need to not be the officer that gets shot yes you know because oh i'm being too precious with protecting people and i'm not a hundred percent sure again it's like what the study found when they feel threatened they're more likely to shoot and kill so, you know, big brain take on that. But when Grossman is making them feel threatened in his training, the first third of it is him just talking about things you sh- that 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 could that are con- like he'll just go off about like he'll, he just speculates on like 
terrorist attacks he can imagine or things like that. Like it's all just gets you into a heightened state of fear in the first third. And then the second third is talking about like what to do in combat. And then he also spends a really inordinate amount of time in the presentation on sleep deprivation, which is, I'm not saying isn't a problem, but yeah, he thinks that's the main culprit of officers making bad decisions is they didn't get enough nap time. I mean, I would be down with in with a siesta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. and you know, you know, it was the other thing um, that came up in uh, one of, one of my interviews with um, uh, Dr. Montgomery when he was first looking into Euclid. He enrolled in uh, their Citizens Police Academy program, and he said that day one, the first thing they tell everyone is like, "Well, as police, we use our senses to tell." when someone's about to commit a crime and goes on to list things like uh, window tint, loud mufflers, loud music. If you have anything obstructing your license plate sticker and Hey, guess what? When you buy a car from most dealerships, guess what they put around your frame or or your license plate, a frame that might obscure the sticker slightly or whatever, you know, all these innocuous things that are just used as pretense, like with the Lamar Wright case, they, they, you know, they're like, Oh, he pulled into, you know, a house we don't like. So we're just going to immediately assume that this person is up to no good. Yeah. Um, And the, he also looked at the data and found that it's like in Euclid, it about, 80% 80% of the use of force reports come from 20% of the cops. Yeah. Which, um, which would then not, it's the cop, not the, not the violent. Yeah. And, and of, right. I think 105 use of uses of force in a certain period or 108, 95 of them were black men. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, of course it, it's like what they found in, um, Robert pointed this out, uh, in Ferguson. Um, and people conservative freak out when I when I bring this up. Uh, T jump actually kind of had a really hard time dealing with it in the debate. Um, but it was the and, and in another debate, I brought it up and the people were like, I need to see the the, 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 the source on that. Trump's DOJ found that in Ferguson, the police department, which had started as a slave catching organization, used police dogs and they only used police dogs on black suspects and that they found that not only did they only use the police dogs on black suspects, Trump's own DOJ found that the black, that the use of the dogs was not justified. It like they were not using the dogs because they needed the dogs. They were using the dogs to terrify and punish. And like, then people say, well, why, why defund the police? Why abolish the police? That's why. Because you've got this culture that, especially in the South, where they grew directly out of these slave catching organizations. 100%. And that's why they used the dogs, because slave catchers used the dogs. And so, like, how do you break that culture? Well, you get rid of the institution and you build a new, better institution with better values. Um, And so, like, I really feel like I'm, I'm glad that, like, defund the police and abolish the police is out there in the popular consciousness, but it's one of the first things that gets completely misinterpreted by every idiot, especially if they're conservative or more on like the, they don't, they don't quite realize the problems that we have with these institutions. They don't realize the problems with, uh, you know, holding officers accountable because of qualified immunity and the strength of police unions. Um, And it's, well, it's frustrating that, 
it's I keep I always I hear mostly from from liberals that are like, oh, I don't like that slogan. It turned people off. It's like half the then then learn yourself something, stand up for it and explain it. Yeah. Well, because it's not hard to say we're going to take funds out of the police and we're going to put them into other things that will actually help that actually protect and serve people. Mm hmm. Uh, by the way, we have in the comments, uh, Zevin X, is there a single heavily armed society that has a low murder rate? Even in medieval Europe and feudal Japan, swords were outlawed in cities. Good point. Uh, though we have the counterpoint from Mustache Bob, Switzerland, the nice Germans. <laughs> um, I would agree. It's interesting. I had a theory, and this is half, This is my half troll, half um, serious um, thing. I think what we need in the United States, if we're going to go down that rabbit hole of a well-armed society as a polite society, um, I think what we and what we realize is that will also mean more suicides and more police shootings if we do it. But let's assume that we still want to do that. Um, like, let's make sure that the people who are armed, one, we don't have to wait and hope for a rich guy to be there to play Batman if guns actually do prevent stuff let's at make sure that everyone gets access to them because that's, we don't want gun privilege we want universal gun rights and universal gun ownership and let's make sure everyone who gets a gun has to go through military training and then like you're 18 you go through military level training you're issued i don't know a, a, a rifle and a sidearm and you get a card that works like food stamps where you can use for like uh, ex, uh ammo and accessories and ma mandatory time off work every month to go to the shooting range and make sure that you're good with that gun and the, and I say that what we'll do with that is we will pay for that with a tax on the rich. <laughs> and if you are against that, maybe the problem is not really guns. <laughs> maybe the problem is something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that, that's my, my half troll that pisses off everybody when I suggest it. But it's surprisingly like the Swiss system. And um, I, I actually think it would be a good idea for the most part. Um, you know, except, of course, for increased cop shootings and increased suicides, which I cannot uh, account for. Um, let's see. Let's take a down. I carry a greaser can opener switchblade because they'll think I know what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a good self-defense <laughs> tactic mustache. Pop. Maybe they'll think you're going to sing at them. Um, yeah. Oh, and this was another thing I wanted to bring up, Stephen. Thank you for this comment from Stephen Lundberg. Oh, so the, the cops acquired a spider sense when doing the training. You know, this reminds me, did you see the um, documentary about Amanda Knox? Um, that name sounds familiar. She was the American who was in Italy and her um, roommate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I do, I think on Netflix, I saw that. Yeah, while and back. like the, the the cop, the detective in it, who like he had a pipe and he th fancied himself Sherlock Holmes. That, I forgot about that fucking cop. Oh man, he was a piece of work. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, I I think it's her because he was all gut. Yeah, yeah, all gut. He was just like, well, the woman, a woman would have covered the body or something because women have weak constitutions and want to, you know, they just yeah, just make it up. Murder. I remember being my jaw dropping at watching that guy talk I yeah. was like, wow. isn't, it, isn't it the same thing with the cops when they're like oh if you have tinted windows if your your car's license plate is slightly obscured if by the way it also just oh, and richard richard hubbard who is probably the most infamous victim of the police he didn't he wasn't killed but he was brutally beaten and that that went v extremely viral uh if you just search richard hubbard 
Euclid. You'll you'll see the video. A bystander shot it, and the dash cam was released. Um, but that uh, episode, oh, I just lost the I just lost the thread. What were we just talking about? Uh, um, and, and the, uh, the cops in. Uh, with regard to like um, how they profiled people that they thought were likely to be violent. Oh yes, yes, no. The pretense for stopping him, he didn't like. He he stopped ahead of the, the that white line at a stop sign. He mm-hmm. like rolled a little bit past that. He rolled past that a little bit and didn't stop, and then made a right turn. Where there's there's it's there's not even like a stop sign where, you know, it matters if you're making a right turn. So there's no one, there was nothing dangerous about it at all. And they stopped him. He got a beating solely because when they took, they told him get out of the car and they put him up against the car. And the guy like slightly was like, what are you doing? And just a slight little like resistance of turning around, like, why did you shove me turned into like throwing him on the pavement and kneeling on him and beating him mercilessly in the street. Yeah. Well, it's that 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 is nuts. And unfortunately, it's it, it happens too often. Um, I think it's you know, I actually brought this up in a, in a weird way. This is going to tie into the next comment that I'm going to uh, read and also my play North to Maine, which I think you've seen. Did you oh, see? Oh, yeah. I love that play. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have from Phoenix Force. I don't carry a gun, but I go out late at night uh, with walks uh, and I take my K-bar knife with me, military combat knife. So fun fact um, that ties into my play North to Maine is when I was on the Appalachian Trail, I was really like worried about going into the woods by myself because 20 miles out in the woods, there's no police, no, you know, you, who knows what could happen. And so I went to a, a knife store and I said, I need a knife that is useful for fighting off um, uh, for fighting off murderers and bears and hillbillies and opening cans. And they gave me basically like a tactical, like it wasn't quite a K-bar, but it was like a K-bar. And I remember I would wear it and I got made fun of for having it my first like week on the trail. Cause I'd come in and people would just be like, what, are you carrying a sword? <laughs> <laughs> and so in North to Maine, if you watch the play, when the character comes in, he's got, I remember that. Knife. Yeah. And he's like, what's wrong with my knife? And he's like, it's a freaking saber. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, don't, I remember that. Everyone's making fun of him. Way to, way to, you know, self de- turn self deprecation into uh, good drama. Absolutely. Um, and in well, the- I, you know, he was knives. I, I, I think there's a Twitter thread a couple of weeks or three weeks ago. I, it was going around just talking about like what it is to like get in a, in a knife fight and like, Oh, you, if you have to use, if you're fighting someone with a knife, you're not walking away without severe, like yeah. the way it detailed what like it is to get into any sort of scrape with a knife just made me like, Oh my God, I'm like more scared of someone with a knife than a gun now. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's getting hurt in that. I actually, I had a knife pulled on me um, at, at Dragon Con of all places. There was a, a guy uh, who was like part of the hotel cleaning staff or something. And I guess he was on some sort of work release program or something. And he was like, he grabbed this woman and was like abusing her. And me and the, like three other guys saw it and came by and were like, ma'am, do you need help? And she said, Yes. And so we're like, okay, sir, you know, step back. And he pulls a knife. And uh, I remembered I was sitting there and and I had just taken a uh, karate um, uh, self-defense class from uh, this guy, uh, Sensei uh, Gene Dunn, I believe, who does some amazing work with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Kyokushin. And he had talked about how you needed like essentially – uh, the, the the a praying stance at the beginning where you have your hands in front of you like this because it doesn't read as aggressive 
And it's like, buddy, you know, I don't want to fight, but you have your hands in exactly the position to where you can block or attack if you need to. Mm. And so like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, sir, please calm down. And I'm, I'm just like, got that script running through my head. Luckily, it, it broke apart and the cops came and uh, I think the people that he was working with hid him. I don't know if the cops ever found him. And it was really depressing, actually, because then the woman recanted, even though she was very obviously being abused by this guy. But, you know, what's going to happen? He goes to jail, then he comes home and he beats her up or something. Yeah, I think I remember that story when that happened. I, I it was it was crazy. I still I still felt good about myself. <laughs> you should. But um. Yeah. The uh, anyway, what I was getting at with the North to Maine and kind of with this situation um, is that that kind of conflict de-escalation, just like what you had with with Sensei Gene, uh, with the the praying hand motion. Um, it's crazy that martial artists are getting better trained to deal with conflict de-escalation than freaking cops hmm. like who have guns and go out and deal with that kind of conflict every day. It's also like again, like when we're talking about guns and weapons and an embattled mindset, like what I, one of the characters uh, in North to Maine is Kevin, who is based on a real Marine from Vietnam that I knew who had been like a tunnel rat. And he told a number of crazy stories and a lot of the stuff that Kevin says came straight from Kevin, like the actual one that I knew on the AT. And one of the monologues that he says when he talks about why he doesn't carry a gun in the woods because everybody tells like when you're planning a through hike, everybody tells you go, go uh, carry a gun. He says, you know, the worst thing about guns, you know, they're heavy, they're illegal in national parks at the time until Obama got rid of that. Thanks Obama. <laughs> but you know, uh, and you're not really going to use them for anything out there. But I think like the worst thing that they do is what they do to our spirit. And it's not like some crunchy granola, you know, hippie spirit. It's the spirit of the hiker community. It's the spirit of the person that is carrying the weapon in the first place, because you put a gun in a man's hand and there is always a part of his brain that's thinking about how and when he's going to use it. He can become afraid, introverted and suspicious. It is not worth having, them, at least not on the Appalachian Trail. And yeah. so I, I really feel like, you know, a lot of the time we as a society are incentivizing these negative interactions with police in a number of ways. And one of them is possibly through the proliferation of weapons and not just the proliferation of weapons, but also the proliferation of this embattled mindset where they feel they're trained like they're soldiers by a former soldier, you know, dealing with, uh, and apparently they're not trained as well as soldiers, um, <laughs> you know, and, and thinking of the public as, as enemies that they are occupying as opposed to people they are trying to protect and serve. Yeah. Uh, mustache Bob, the sword itself incites to violence. That's another Greek. Cool. I channeled a Greek without knowing it. I, I I'm going to, I'm going to take full credit for that. Right on. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so um, I, I love the chat. I've got a bunch of sword and ninja uh, nerds in the chat now, <laughs> which is exciting. Uh, I carry a 16 inch kukuri as a tool uh, and I work forestry in Michigan. Dude, I am so jealous of you, Zevanex, that you get to work forestry. That's one of the career paths I almost chose and I, I kind of miss. You should check out my play North to Maine if, if you get a chance. I, I can vouch for that. It's a fantastic play. I have done, I've used parts of that. That is a monologue for audition. <laughs> um, I enjoyed being part of re staged readings and watching it. It's oh, yeah. I uh, had excellent, you read excellent show. 
didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, man. In Damascus, you were phenomenal. You got to smoke more or less weed. I don't know what's <laughs> happening with your oh, brain. It's, no, it's, it's not the weed. It's CBD. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. It's it's weed light. Weed weed light that is legal <laughs> yeah I, I i should i should smoke more weed honestly sort um, of legal there's still <laughs> places where you can get in trouble if they find it in your system in certain instances that's why when yeah when my when my son was born all drugs gone <laughs> um and uh, they're not coming back until he's out of the house um as far as anyone knows <laughs> so um all right well this is great um i'll tell you what we're uh we've been at this for uh like an hour and a half almost yeah do you want to plug your pluggables bz uh i could well i i know you know times are tight if you if you can uh, support me on patreon that's always appreciated but uh right now i'd really uh appreciate all the youtube subscribers i could get um get you know to crack that thousand so that i could start monetizing things like that i'm 100 percent independent my goal is to be 100 percent reader funded i'm not looking to get a job with any agency just so that i can be free to be my own editor um but yeah if you can follow me on on all the things that's that's the best thing and uh especially uh, if you subscribe to me on substack that's where i'll be publishing more of these articles like i said i think i have this story cornered at the moment um and it's great as mariah and i talk almost you know a couple times a day lately just catch mm -hmm. up on things she's always keeping me in the loop on where things are going next they're going to be filing uh more charges against other officers in euclid and setting their sights on other departments throughout the state so this story isn't going anywhere and um the, for it to really have potency i just i hope it can bubble up to being made uh that everybody in, in ohio can be made aware of it so if you know anybody in ohio tell them about the story because it does affect you and uh honestly uh you know i'm going to be working with mariah to help set up uh set her up with um some sort of system a website um that can because that's what i do to make money for the most part right now i build websites on the side and uh i told her i'm like i'd really like to take the reins help you build out a, a good website that would allow people to submit like oh i was arrested by such and such officer in such and such department it, were they in C's function when that happened? Yeah, we could we can find out. <laughs> well, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, and you also you're host of the BZ Listening Podcast, which uh, yep. goes into some amazing uh, local artists. Uh, and oh, and if you want to learn all about this and meet Mariah, she was uh, my interview subject a uh, uh, um, two episodes back, and it's a really great deep dive into. We get into the weeds of all this. Well, so everybody do that. Also, everybody subscribe to BZ's channel. I can tell you, um, having um, got gotten into the, uh, the the YouTube partners program, I'm kind of crying about it because it it's going to take a while to get to where like the money is anything mm. that you can use, but it, it is a start. Um, yeah. And, and well, actually, what I can see, you're kicking ass. You blew way past my subscribers in no time. <laughs> I've been on YouTube for years putting out content and I, I haven't, I never cracked yeah. a thousand. Well, that's because I did the debates, I think, with um, yeah. a debate and also You're getting um, yourself out there amongst other YouTubers. And I haven't really uh, cracked that yet. 
Yeah, well, let me know if you want to debate somebody. I could. I think you I'm might not, be good at it, but um, I. I guess I. I. I have to do it to find out. I mean, I like getting into arguments, but um, I worry about like getting you know gish galloped into something where I don't know how to call bullshit on bullshit when I see it, or how to quickly yeah. source something. So, yeah, I guess if we're the right topic, I'd be happy to do it. But yeah, we um, we can talk about it if that's something you want to do. Um, I, I can give you some tips. My biggest tip would be to avoid doing anything with conspiracy theorists because they just gish gallop and they're out of their mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but other stuff like the political stuff, I think you you might actually uh, be able to find your niche uh, really easily. I don't and know. Else, I think I'd have more fun debating a conspiracy theorist than just mocking them for... <laughs> that is true, and that is a tactic one can take. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so uh, this, uh, and for you guys, uh, if you have not liked, commented, or subscribed uh, to my channel, please do, uh, because again, you know, I'm uh, trying to do my best to make it through this whole COVID time. Uh, also, if you can, get a copy of Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, the second issue of which is out, and I will be launching a Kickstarter for the third uh, in, in November, I believe. I'm waiting until after the election, because I don't want it to get swallowed by the election uh but i should be launching the one for the yeah by uh, by november 10th is my is my goal to get this out uh and there's going to be a bunch the, the series has been nominated it was nominated for two ringo awards um we did not win but i was happy i we actually one of the ringos that we lost we lost to the guy from usagi yojimbo um, mm. <laughs> yeah which like that dude's a freaking legend so I'm okay losing to that. Uh, and uh, also Co Colleen Duran, who uh, works with my personal favorite author, Neil Gaiman. Uh, her, we lost out to her book, uh, Snow Glass Apples, which That's was a good direct, company, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It was a direct inspiration of Snow White Zombie. <laughs> yeah, I, lo I, I, lo I love the comic. I got to get my hands on issue two. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah you do well you know there's the there's the kickstarter coming up and i'm sure we'll work something out because i gotta overhaul my website and um yeah people have actually been asking me on um you do uh, need a new as a person who built your website like a decade ago i can yeah. tell you you need a new website i really do people have come in into the i did not know what i was doing at all compared to like now like, <laughs> like well, that's excellent. we'll figure it out we'll be able to get the the blog up there maybe um the the youtube uh, synced into it and oh, everything yeah. else. So we'll let, let's talk about that really soon. All right. Well, guys, uh, thank you all so much. This was BZ Douglas. Um, and uh, please look into this killing. Um, you know, if you are a reporter out there or you know a reporter, please get them turned on to this because, you know, BZ has the, the thing cornered on it, but I believe that's not what you want, right? You'd no. like more people to be talking about this. No, yeah. I've been, I've been, when I first put out my interview with Mariah, I was like tagging a bunch of journalists I knew just being like, does anyone want to write? Cause this is a beast of a story to write. And this is just the first of what, if it's, if it's going to be mine, it's going to be an, an, a lot of articles about this. So yeah. and it takes a while to wrap your head around. So if you're interested in this, get into it now. Absolutely. And uh, you and I, we can talk about the website and we'll talk about the YouTube partners program. Oh, well, after this, uh, Zevin X, thank you very much. Thank you. Phoenix force. Thank you, Steve Lundberg, uh, mustache, Bob. Oh, I want to thank, I want to thank Zevin X and Colin Lorenz. They subscribed to me. I imagine from watching Sweet. very much appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Colin is great. I didn't read Colin's thing actually. And I should have Colin was, 
uh, making fun of the the guy who was I thought who who apologized for trolling, being like, "If only the article was linked in the description." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. All right, so uh, from uh, me uh, here at Insurrection to all of you, um, you know, keep uh, your eyes up. Uh, keep uh, asking tough questions and keep making the argument for a better, saner world. Uh, This is Brenton of Insurrection with Brenton Langle signing out.